welcome to the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with my co-host and brother, Kevin. And today we have a special, special shout-out. I'll let you take that one. Thank you, Adam, for the comment on Spotify. And I bet all of you didn't know you could actually write comments on Spotify episodes because I definitely didn't. But just thank you for what I assume is you having great taste in all things media, whether it's DBZ or the equally critically acclaimed Premier League Proven Podcast. We absolutely appreciate you. We always appreciate anyone that sends us a comment, leaves us a rating, helps other people find us. And uh, we appreciate you guys that are listening to us today. And today we have, a, I think, a really fun team, a good team to talk about, and a team I think that anybody that's American and following the Premier League, and if you know anybody that follows the Premier League, you probably have a friend that's an Arsenal supporter. It seems like it's a team that Americans tend to have a strong affinity for, um, and it's a team that I think is in a really exciting time and is a really good team to be a part of and follow for the rest of your life. So just to start off, I would recommend, if you haven't, I think I recommend this in most of our episodes, but a lot of the history, at least the modern history of Arsenal is covered in the second episode of this podcast or third episode maybe which is the history of the Premier League because when I started watching Arsenal and Manchester United were the two dominant teams kind of in the early 2000s under Arsene Wenger and it wasn't always like that so Arsenal is the third most successful team in all of England in terms of trophy count so they have 13 league championships Um, Manchester United has 20 and Liverpool has 19 Arsenal also has the most FA Cups, and the FA Cup used to carry way more weight than it does now. It's still important, but it used to be almost as important as the Premier League, and Arsenal has the most FA Cups. The biggest thing that they are lacking is a Champions League victory. Um, For a team of their size, they're probably one of the biggest teams in the world. If you looked at every team that doesn't have a Champions League, they're probably the biggest one of all of them in the world. Even during their great eras, they just weren't quite able to push it over the line but Arsenal is a team that has always been around the top Uh, they're in North London their big rivals are Tottenham and they're rivals with pretty much everyone in London as well though especially Chelsea with given how successful both of them are Arsenal hasn't had quite as much of a dominant era as maybe Manchester United and Liverpool have uh, but they've kind of been consistently good for a long time so it used to be in the 80s and 90s, they were known as 1-0 to the Arsenal. So they were a very defensively sound team. Uh, this is Tony Adams, the uh, one of their great captains, who was a center back, led a defense that was incredibly strong. And the joke was they just had to score one goal and they were going to win every game because they, they never let anything in. They weren't the most exciting team. They're just a physical kind of what you'd almost think defensive team. Now, that is the complete antithesis of what Arsenal are known for today. And all of that is due to one man, Arsene Wenger. And again, I cover a lot of that in the History of the Premier League podcast. But Arsene Wenger, you know, just on a similar level as Mourinho, Guardiola, Klopp, Ferguson, he is absolutely one of the top guys in terms of what he's meant to soccer and especially the Premier League. Wenger is definitely a iconic manager in the infancy of the Premier League, and he's one of the most influential managers out there kind of ushering in this new era of sports science and taking players that were pseudo drunks that were good at soccer to the quote-unquote modern athlete that you know focuses a little bit more on their health nutrition and sports science so a lot of his influence has kind of carried through to the modern game today and he is regarded by everyone as one of the best managers in the Premier League era. 
Yeah, and a lot of that is because he brought an attacking flair, unlike the Premier League had kind of seen before that. He is, all of his teams were all about scoring goals, playing beautiful football, and obviously that's a very exciting thing for the fans. He's kind of the anti-Mourinho, whereas Mourinho will do anything to win. Wenger is much more about playing their way, playing beautiful soccer, playing the game the quote-unquote right way. Criticism that can be leveled at him was that he wasn't quite always successful um, as his kind of counterparts at the top of the end, top end of the game, partly because people said that he was a little naive. He wasn't willing to compromise a little bit to play a little more defensively in certain games and things like that. But Wenger, he leads the Invincibles, um, the only team in Premier League history to go an entire season without losing a game in the league. Um, Preston North End, I think, did that back in like 1919 or something like that. But the only time any team has done it in the modern era. The thing about Arsenal is they always try to walk it in. No, but the thing about <laughs> Arsenal is the uh, they have been in the last maybe two decades or 15 years or so in quote-unquote a banter era. So this has kind of been the the time for Arsenal that's been, they're always underachieving. Most of the transfers that they make don't haven't worked. They are naive. They can be easily bullied off the ball. They can be, they're kind of, for a long time, were considered soft, whether or not that was fair. And a lot of that was Wenger, when he first came, he still had a lot of those kind of tough physical guys uh, that were part of the old Arsenal team. But as he bought his own guys, he tended to go for more technical players, flair players, a lot of foreign players that weren't quite as aggressive, physical as other teams in England. And they got a reputation, whether right or wrong. And I think in a lot of cases it was wrong. But when the referees start believing and other teams start believing that your team is soft, it leads to a lot of, A, referees probably not giving the fouls against you that you deserve and a lot of other teams aggressively going in on you leading to things like injuries. And so Arsenal, if you combine that with the fact that they have American owners, that's changed a little bit, and they're now owned by the Cronkies, who also own the Rams, and I think they also own the Colorado Avalanche, um, own the Nuggets, um, who have been very successful. They, You know, the Rams won a Super Bowl. The, the Nuggets won a, the NBA championship, and they're really looking, I think, to turn Arsenal into a successful team. And we'll talk a little bit more about kind of their more recent past but Arsenal and this is kind of one of those club building things Arsenal moved from their old ground which is called Highbury to what is the Emirates Stadium and that obviously it's expensive to build a stadium so they were kind of the first model of this of a team that was trying to at the top end of the game that was trying to survive thrive keep making the Champions League while also paying off a billion dollar stadium and that was really hard to do they basically didn't spend any money in the transfer market or compared to Manchester United and Chelsea. And they basically were working with a shoestring budget and Arsene Wenger was just trying to keep them in the top four. And he often would be able to do that. But over a long period of time of no success, you know, they didn't win the league for about 12 years or 13 years. And unfortunately, the relationship between Arsene Wenger and the Arsenal fans got quite toxic. Um, it's mending a little bit now as they're starting to get a little more success and there's been a little bit more time there. Um, it's kind of sad to see in the sense that Fergie got to go out with a victory, winning is winning the league and then retiring. Wenger never really quite got the send-off that he deserved from Arsenal. 
understandably because he was not producing the results and it it kind of left a bitter taste in the mouth of fans that I think just a little bit of time is going to heal and after that it'll be all fixed and you know he'll be present at all the games and things but he, there's definitely been a period of time where he's it's been a little awkward between them I think it's a little bit similar to what you're seeing at the Patriots right now with Belichick right he obviously brought the Patriots so many amazing memories but fans are very you know short term what have you done for me lately and like you said I think those relationships do repair kind of when you have some time to kind of cool off and reflect on on these great periods and these great coaches uh, at their clubs people are saying well, yeah was Belichick even that good and yeah we want Belichick out of here when you forget uh, how good of a coach he was and probably still is yeah and he's working with a lot of constraints and things that other teams don't have to and uh, the thing about Wenger is he's always been a gentleman as well. He's and he's kind of the anti-Mourinho in that way, where he's always talks positively about things. He always takes the high road, or generally always takes the high road. He doesn't throw people under the bus. Arsenal went through a really bad phase. They had some managers, kind of some false dons. Unai Emery was actually doing quite well at Aston Villa, didn't do um, very well. But what they did was they ended up appointing Mikel Arteta and. For anybody that's been watching for a long time, you'll probably remember Mikel Arteta as a player. He played in Spain. They brought uh, David Moyes brought him over, I believe, key figure in that Everton team, one of those really good Everton teams uh, from the mid-2000s. And he's a kind of a holding midfielder type, kind of a classic Spanish player. Never quite at that like top, top level, but definitely a very good player. And as he got older, Arsene Wenger, because he was basically cheap, uh, brought... Mikel Arteta to Arsenal to kind of play out the last few years of his career and he was always a good servant for them and so the fans loved him because he just had a solid head on him he was kind of I don't remember quite exactly if he was captain or not but he was kind of one of those veteran figureheads for the team and well liked by the fans they didn't win too much with him there um, they weren't particularly great but Arteta went into coaching and he went to be kind of Pep, one of Pep Guardiola's right hand men and he learned his craft from Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. And Arsenal, when they had a job opening, obviously Arteta wants to move up in the levels. And they kind of hired him as a pretty young guy, a guy without any first team experience. This is his first major job. And when you get a job like Arsenal, that is a huge, huge, huge first job to get. Because it does not take many losses to basically have the fans demanding that you get sacked. And Arteta to his credit, was able to survive some really bad periods these last couple years, um, especially in the beginning. There's all these rumors that basically he was like one or two losses away from getting fired. It's honestly kind of a shock that he made it. I think in part, part of the reason why he survived is because one of his bad seasons was during the COVID season and there were no fans to boo them. Um, because the Arsenal fan expectations are really high, deservedly so. It's a huge, huge, huge club with an incredible global support. Um, and an expectation for how they're going to play. And Mikel Arteta does have that style, um, but he needed a little bit of time and he needed, especially because this is his first job, to kind of work through some growing pains. And they, to Arsenal's credit and to his credit, they let him do that and he was able to to kind of bounce back. And to be honest with you, I was completely out on Arteta. I did not think he was going to be the right guy for the job. I thought this was too much, too quick for him. I thought he was going to be fired. And I, I think in almost every way he's proved me wrong. I think it's one of those things where you see the cup competitions where Arsenal was successful kind of in this period with Arteta 
taking the helm and they were able to win an FA Cup. I really do think that it was instrumental in kind of keeping his job. You know, it's a little bit harder to fire a manager, even if their league form is not quite where it should be. You give them a little bit more grace, a little bit more slack if they're able to kind of bring in that silverware. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, as a Spurs fan, I was, you know, very Arteta in kind of guy for a couple of years where Arsenal was definitely floundering. But it does seem like he he is really growing into the job. And again, it's just showing how much influence Pep has uh, with another one of his disciples becoming a top flight manager. Yeah, and this is almost like one of, if you think like coaching trees in the NFL, Arteta is definitely in Guardiola's coaching tree. And last year was just such like a high-flying, incredible year for Arsenal. I think, you know, even, I don't think most of their fans thought they were going to do much more than kind of hopefully push for a top four position, solidify a top four position. But they almost won the league last year, which uh, is not something you could say about Arsenal since maybe like 2000. I think they had one year um, where they finished second, but I think in the Leicester year, but they weren't particularly that close to Leicester, to be honest. Probably the real, the title race before that where they were really in it was maybe like 2008 or something so Arsenal has been waiting for a long long time for a title run and there were times last year when you thought that they were going to win because they they almost had that it's not necessarily luck it's just kind of making your it's like good fortune and just kind of being bold and tossing the kitchen sink at the end of the games and just kind of like, it just seemed like every time that they needed a clutch goal in the 90 plus three, they were just going to score that goal. They would go on to win that game. I like to think of it as plot armor, where it's the main character, you know, no matter what, when he's in a gunfight, the bullets are just missing past him, or this explosion happens, and he just is outside of the, the lethal radius. Uh, that's kind of what Arsenal seemed like last year. And in all honesty, if you want to win a title and you're not Man City, that's what you need. It's just sometimes, like exactly like you said, it just seems like everything goes right. You just have all of these late winners. It's just when something needs to happen for you, the ball just falls to the right guy at the right spot at the right time, and you get points out of nowhere that you probably didn't deserve. So, yeah, last year I really f- was worried and terrified that they were actually going to win the title. And they did it. And what really brought them down, I think, A, is that Manchester City, as we've mentioned many times, is just incredible, right? So if in a a quote-unquote normal year without a Manchester City there, they probably win the league in most of those years. Um, But injuries really hurt them in the the stretch last year. They they lost their center backs, and players like Thomas Partey and things were not playing as well. And so this is a team that plays incredible attacking football almost not quite in the exact same style as Pep Guardiola but a lot of the same ideas Mikel Arteta definitely has his own flavor to things he's not just like literally copying Pep Guardiola but this is a team that I think is born in the spirit of a Manchester City and they've been able to replicate a lot of the things that uh, Manchester City has done they it always seems like when you're playing Arsenal and this has been true for maybe 15 years 20 years that they always just create chance after chance they are always just throwing things into the box. They have great, silky, technical players. They have a ton of speed uh, on the wings. Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli are honestly probably the most exciting left wing and right wing like combination in the league. They're just so fun to watch. They're really direct, um, aggressive, always trying to go for go for the kill. And 
Arsenal has been able to do that while kind of copying Pep Guardiola. Let's just make sure that we get kind of the best center backs that we can possibly get. William Saliba and Gabriel just have basically our defenses. Our center backs are good enough to hold up, you know, one-on-one multiple times a game, which is kind of what you almost have to do if you're going to play that kind of aggressive, high-pressing possession style. They play a really interesting style where, especially last year, they just don't play with a really traditional number nine with Jesus that is more or less dropping in a little bit deeper and playing as that false nine. But it doesn't matter. It's like between you know, Saka and Martinelli and then Odegaard, it just seems like goals come from everywhere. It's these players that are each putting in you know 10-plus goals a year. So it's not like they're reliant on one incredible striker or they're not reliant on one guy who may get injured throughout the year. They just have some young talent that are able to generate goals from all over the place. And like you said, they're as much as I don't like Arsenal, they're really exciting to watch. You know, Odegaard and Saka alone are two of my favorite players to, to watch because anytime they're on the ball near the box, you just kind of like hold your breath and think something incredible is about to happen. And more often than not, something incredible does happen. And just like you said, they're really young. So, you know, this season is interesting for Arsenal because Arsenal up until this point, last year was just like such a surprise, right? In terms of they went above and beyond the expectation of even some of the huge diehard fans um, that support Arsenal. And they fell just short, but that was acceptable because they were still way above beyond expectations. But the only way to be better than last year is to win the Champions League or to win the Premier League. That's pretty much it, right? Like, it is the curse of expectations in good seasons in soccer is that, and I think it can make playing out a, a season in soccer really challenging because unlike American sports where you can kind of do decently well in the regular season and turn it up in the playoffs, you have to be on your game every single game. And when fans expect you to go for titles, even single losses, even un- unlucky losses or VAR losses, you know, losses that are due to bad decisions, just really unlucky things happening, those can be crisis moments because to beat a team like Manchester City, you have to be on top of your game every week. So the expectations have definitely changed. It's one of those things where Mikel Arteta is absolutely loved in Arsenal um, right now, but if they go two, three years with this core, you know, that is built to win titles without winning a title, It'd be it's very going to be very interesting to see kind of what happens to this team and what happens to the fans' relationship with the team because this is the first team in a long time that's given them this much hope. But if you don't deliver on that hope, eventually that hope turns into frustration. Yeah, I don't really think they can really hide behind the excuse that they've had in the past. I put that excuse in air quotes. But like you've said, when they're building their new stadium, they didn't really have the funding to purchase players but I mean, this is the last offseason I think they spent almost a quarter of a billion euros on players so it's not like they're not strengthening their their team they are and so they really do need to kind of strike while the iron is hot and something I always think of that actually you said in this podcast a lot of times now is how much the media builds up narratives and builds up teams and it kind of amplifies the bad things that happen to the team right you say all these things about how arsenal were so great last year could this be their year and when that doesn't happen 
uh, as a fan, you're still influenced by the media. You're still influenced by the pundits that are speaking at the games. And you can kind of get a little uneasy and a little bit more upset at the team than you probably should be. Yeah, and, you know, like I was saying before, it's always been a thing in Vogue to kind of call Arsenal weak mentally, a soft team. They definitely get their fair – like, if they lose a game, other teams can lose a game sometimes, and it's like you're not really making fun of the club and kind of like the spirit of the club and the culture of the club. When Arsenal goes through a bad period, things kind of fall off the rails completely. It's a little bit like Manchester United in that way. But this season, they've come, they've gotten off to a decent start. They lost a game uh, against Newcastle uh, that was, from Arteta's point of view, very controversial. You know whether or not uh, you think that goal should have stood. I think there's a lot. There was a lot of comments coming from Arteta, basically being very critical of the referees. And if you haven't been paying very close attention, we're not going to get into it too much today. But there is a refereeing and VAR crisis. Um, whether or not you think the refs are worse than they usually are, and they're usually pretty bad. So I mean, it's hard for them to be that much worse than they usually are. But for whatever reason, there's a huge amount of attention on them right now. Um, a lot of scrutiny, and I think you will see some changes to how VAR is operated in the UK. Me personally, just my two cents would just stop intervening so much. Just let the game play, and if something's truly extremely obvious and 9 out of 10 people would agree, then change it. But if it's one of these kind of borderline things, don't take away goals. Don't give people penalties. Just let them. Just let the game happen. Let it do, let it do its thing. Let it do its thing. But anyway, the season this year, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of make a deep run in the Champions League. I think last year they really very much focused on the league and kind of gave up in the Cups, gave up in uh, Europa League. But, you know, they haven't been in the Champions League in a while. And being back, I think it's going to be really good for the fans, for their psyche. And um, as they make those knockout rounds, I think they're going to look at it as another avenue to have a really successful season. Do you want to talk a little bit about their players? Yeah, uh, just uh, before I go right into the players, I, I think they do have a little bit more depth this year just with who they bought and some players that kind of have emerged uh, better than they expected. So I, I do think they probably have a little bit more depth than they did last year. Uh, so they're going to be able to maybe kind of fight a war on a couple different fronts. So yeah, I think we've talked a little bit about some of the attacking players for Arsenal uh, just like you said, they like to play a kind of 4-3-3 formation, uh, which they kind of use what's kind of now known as a boxed midfield. But they classically have three of the best attacking players in the league and probably in the world, especially as far as young talent, I think. With Saka and Martinelli as right and left wings, respectively, uh, some really, really great young talent that are exciting to watch. Uh, more interestingly, and we've touched on this already with their striker they don't play a traditional nine they kind of seem to generate a lot of their goals coming from those winger positions but usually who's starting uh is going to be gabriel jesus who was at manchester city so kind of makes sense that you have that you know guy who was successful in a manchester city pep system also could be successful in an arsenal system um he, he's a pretty good he does everything that you want from a striker except score goals yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly what he does. He does everything so well, holding up play, creating opportunities. But you're right, as far as putting the ball in the back of the net, he's just not quite there for it. So it's funny enough that he, he does have that number nine jersey. He's also had some injury issues, I think, over the last couple of years. 
he just kind of fluctuated uh, in and out, missing kind of stretches of game time based off those injuries. And, you know, when he's not there, Arsenal definitely feels that gap. And Bakayo Saka is one of these young English players who is kind of the, one of the faces of England. He's incredibly talented, really fun to watch, and just one of those, he's going to go down as one of the all-time great Premier League players. Hopefully if he doesn't get, you know, sustain a major injury or something, but he's still only 22, already one of the best players in the world, and every team would love to have him. He'd start on every team in the world. They're also, what Arsenal, I think, has this year, and what they they made a smart move. They brought uh, Leandro Trussard, who can kind of play all over the attack as a backup. And it's something that is becoming increasingly important in the game. You can't just have your starters. You need a couple good attacking players on the bench, just like Liverpool has five, six attackers, just like Man City has five, six attackers. If you don't have those guys, one or two injuries can really throw you off the, your game. And Martin Odegaard, like you had mentioned previously, he's just kind of a midfield maestro he just controls the entire game he's really fun to watch martin odegaard for anybody that didn't watch he was like this he was kind of like freddie adu from norway um he was like one of the most famous 16 year old soccer players ever he like he had like a trial in every country he ended up going to real madrid and he never like really kind of made it there because he just he's he's very hard working and things but he doesn't quite have that like i don't know it doesn't seem like it at least have that kind of like ego and kind of type of thing that you probably need to make it at a club like Real Madrid when you're 17, 18. And uh, he ended up going out on loan and eventually went to Arsenal and has completely reinvented his career and is definitely one of the best players in the world now too. Two huge signings that I am really curious to get your thoughts on. Um, I think everybody thought that them signing Declan Rice, who every team in England wanted, he's came from West Ham. He is you know, kind of getting away from young now. I think he's like 24, 25. Um, he is but in the prime of this career and a rare thing for a top-level player to be available as a defensive midfielder. And he is kind of an all-conquering box-to-box force who is incredibly physical but also has the, the kind of technical talent to play at the top level. And they spent $100 million or $100 million pounds on him this year um, which is quite a hefty price tag again that's the amount of money that you pay to West Ham just so that you can pay Declan Rice a contract and I think so far he's been quite a success but what do you think that was for Arsenal in terms of kind of a statement signing I think it's uncharacteristic from what you've typically seen from from Arsenal right I don't think they really like to splash the cash on single players at at, at that monetary value uh, but also, it seems like if they were going for those kind of players, they're going for a little bit flashier guys that are going to play as strikers, as like an Aubameyang or an Alexis Sanchez kind of style um, signing or an Ozil style signing. Uh, but really going for a less sexy kind of holding midfielder, I think it's good business, really. And just like you're saying, with them having a two to three year window where they have a really strong core, I, I think Declan Rice coming good and if he is the signing and if he is the player that kind of helped drag West Ham to win their first uh, conference league trophy last year if that player can figure it out and kind of blend and mesh with the Arsenal system I think it'll be some really really good business and something that they'll kind of see the dividends for and be the kind of core and soul of their midfield for years to come. Yeah and he's the type of famous player I think that they Arsenal a team like Arsenal never would have been able to sign 
for the last 15 years. A player of his caliber who can go to any team in the world would not have picked Arsenal. Um, so I think the fact that he did says a ton about where this team is headed. Kai Havertz, who they bought from Chelsea, I'm not sure that's going to be quite a smart business. He didn't kind of pan out quite as well as they'd hoped at Chelsea, and I'm not sure they actually he fits the way that they want to play. We will see if, if Kai Havertz can kind of reinvent himself at Arsenal as well. I think he's almost just too attacking to be playing next to, to Odegaard and Rice, who both like to get forward themselves. So, you know, it's very much if, you know, City does it and Guardiola does it with Bernardo Silva in midfield, I'm not sure Havertz quite has that discipline and ability to play further back. But Zinchenko, and something that was really interesting that you mentioned, is that they played this kind of inverted left back. So when they're playing in attack, their left back basically is playing defensive midfielder. And it's one of those things that, in theory, allows a player like Kai Havertz, who's a midfielder, and Odegaard, who's a midfielder, to kind of get forward because they're covered by the left back who's kind of taking their place in defensive midfield. And this is not necessarily like a super new concept, but it's definitely new to be this common. And City and Arsenal definitely are two of the biggest proponents. And what it does is that... You know, it makes a lot of sense to me because fullbacks in traditional soccer are definitely one of the main attacking outlets. But if you had to ask anybody, like, who is kind of the worst attacking players on the pitch that aren't the center backs, it's almost always the fullbacks. So it doesn't really make that much sense to me why you would want your fullbacks to be your attacking outlet, which is kind of what traditionally they are. And then in most teams, I think they still are. You kind of want your fullback to be defending more and kind of if they have the technical ability of being able to control the game from the back it's more it's kind of leading into this kind of more future modern era where defenders are more defenders and attackers are more attackers and players can kind of be hyper specialized yeah i think the hyper specialization is exactly what i was thinking before you said it there at the end it also kind of helps you keep your shape a little bit more stable because uh, if you give you know both your outside backs bombing down making an overlap and whipping a cross in, and let's say the keeper catches it. Well, now you have your two of your four defenders are on the wrong side of midfield or out of position. Uh, it can kind of really burn you on some quick counterattacks. Uh, a couple other things I want to talk about there too is some of these signings. I think the one specifically is Kai Havertz. Is it seems like Arsenal kind of bought him and are playing him out of position, or at least the position that we've seen him in the past and with other teams. And I think a little bit of this has to do with, you know, Arteta, I think, really does favor for, for better probably rather than worse is players that are flexible and are able to play in more positions, just like you talked about with Trissard. You know, in case Jesus gets injured or if, you know, Reese Nelson's not really cutting the mustard uh, as that striker, he can kind of fill in and fill that role. So I think he really does, and by he, uh, Arteta really does, favorite players that are able to play a few different positions. And the other thing I think is talking about marquee and statement signings, I really do wonder if Kroenke, the owner, has had success with his other teams and Arsenal is the one out there that has kind of eluded him as far as getting a championship and winning uh, a respective league. And so I wonder if he just kind of feels like, hey, the time is right. We have some exciting players we almost did it last year. Soccer is becoming a bigger and bigger game. So let me strike now while the iron is hot. I smell some 
blood in the water and let's see if we can get this over the finish line. So it is just uncharacteristic and I'm interested to kind of see where Arsenal go as far as signings in the next three to five years. Yeah, because they've spent really heavy. William Saliba is definitely, he's an interesting rise because they kept loaning him out. It seemed like they almost wanted to get rid of him, but he came back and he's already one of the best center backs in the league. But an interesting signing uh, this year was, which you don't see a lot, is they actually replaced the goalkeeper, or didn't quite replace him, but they bought in a new goalkeeper after spending a lot of money on Aaron Ramsdale and a guy that I think most people thought was going to be Arsenal's keeper for the next decade. Arteta went out and bought David Raya from Brentford, and he's kind of supplanted Aaron Ramsdale, which is a really interesting thing because replacing keepers is not something that you really see and it's kind of emblematic of the modern game trying to find a keeper that's kind of able to play out from the back a little more which Raya definitely is and kind of integrating him as one of those players but it was it's it's a really interesting thing because there's some talk that maybe they're going to do two keepers Um, but the problem is when you have two keepers that both want to start whenever one starts making mistakes and you know mistakes happen the fans often start saying, well, we got another good keeper on the bench. Why don't you just replace him? It's almost like having two quarterbacks in the NFL. Not having a clear number one, number one, is a bad recipe for a disaster. That should not be a competition. It's the problem, too, is it's the one position where you may only get a handful of games if you're the backup, you know, barring an injury. like Maybe you'll get a run out in some of the earlier stages of the league or FA Cup, but outside of that, you might not see any time. And it's how I understand it. Ramsdale is kind of a fan favorite as well. So I think people are, you know, still do have faith in Arteta, especially after last year. But it's maybe never a good idea to spend a significant chunk of money on a position that, I don't know, maybe maybe at least doesn't look like so far as a big upgrade to Ramsdale, who I thought was a pretty decent. I do think Raya is better than Ramsdale. I think Ramsdale had a mistake in him. We'll see if uh, it kind of works out in the long run for them. But yeah, I mean, they just spent a good amount of money on Ramsdale, so you you don't have limitless funds at a club like Arsenal. But just to switch off into their fans, Arsenal fans are pretty much the most, I'd say, passionate in the entire Premier League, especially online. So if you, if you are on any forums, podcasts, fan pages, social media, you will see Arsenal fans at the top of pretty much everything. They are incredibly engaged. I'm not 100% sure what the reason for this is. I don't know if it's just because they have a lot of um, kind of overseas fans. Um, and it's in London. It's obviously a, a, a kind of metropolitan city and lends itself to a kind of more global fan base. But Arsenal, they do they have the best memes. I got to give them that. Huge amount of passion and they care a ton. But I think it also can lead to a lot, a lot of toxicity at times. I think one of the best examples of that is going to be Arsenal Fan TV. Uh, This is kind of like a a YouTube channel where some very passionate fans, I think it's like about five or six hosts at this point, uh, more or less give their takes on games. They do live watches of stuff and it becomes... I'm pretty sure they like invented the media. Yeah. Like the form, the art form. Yeah, it's like you... (laughs) YouTube, like kind of live vlogging and blogging. If Arsenal are doing well, it's great. It's all sunshine. But as soon as Arsenal starts to turn, uh, it is so, so, so bad. You know, they are just saying the worst takes, the most toxic things. And I'm not sure if they're doing it. Uh, you know, I'm sure they're passionate fans, but I think part of it is also just to get the clicks. 
uh, at this point it's kind of become a, a meme for Arsenal fan TV but it's awful and I can't imagine as a fan going there each and every week to to watch all of them kind of implode as soon as Arsenal lose one game even though they've been doing well for the majority of the season and I really do think that the majority of the people that watch Arsenal fan TV that YouTube channel are probably team fans of other teams that are just trying to to kind of laugh and poke fun at them yeah Arsenal fan TV is not quite as fun for everyone else now that Arsenal's actually good again um, but they were bad for so long that Arsenal fan TV was kind of one of the most famous things in soccer. And th- it got so big and has been so big that those guys have kind of gotten famous a bit in the UK. And so they're actually like on, you know, kind of quote unquote brick and mortar or kind of established broadcast TV because they've just been such a huge presence from that. And every team essentially has their equivalent of Arsenal fan TV, but none of them will kind of replicate all the because they they got all their characters on there saying like blood and you know just doing crazy stuff they got characters on there Rev, yeah, if you watch top boy on uh, on netflix yeah you'll definitely get the lingo so to me arsenal is a great team to follow because this is kind of hopefully what they would ho- think is going to be the beginning of a golden era it's been so long that arsenal has been kind of not been good performing under expectations and they finally have the team to match those expectations they finally have the team that they think can go on and win a champions league go on and win a premier league this is their best shot in a long time and it's a team that is young it's a team that is hungry they have a young manager who understands the club he used to play for the club the fans love him uh this is a great time to to get on the arsenal bandwagon they are a very good team but this, at the end of the day, just like Tottenham is Tottenham, Arsenal is Arsenal. And uh, for the last 15 years, things always seem to go wrong for both ends. So uh, what do you think about hope and heartbreak for them? Yeah, well, just to, to kind of address that, I mean, I think Arsenal is just Tottenham with a couple extra FA Cups over the last 20 years right there. They just, yeah, like you said, when, when things are going good, it seems like they have the anti-plot armor, right? They're 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 not the protagonist or the antagonist, and you know they always seem to have to lose. But you know maybe they're they're kind of fortunate change over the next few years here. But yeah, as far as hope, I would say right now it's about a four and a half, just finishing second in the league last year and having a real serious game. Some everybody, someone has to finish second place every year, and most of the time recently it's been just a consolation prize in every sense of the word. But last year, there was, they actually had a real shot at winning it. And so I, I think the fans are going to kind of be riding that high, uh, coming off some marquee signings and spending a lot of money. I, I do think a four and a half, the fans are expecting to, like you said, either contest or win the title or do go really far in the Champions League. Yeah, so I'd give them, I, I agree, 4.5 on the hope. What do you think about heartbreak? I'm going to give it a 4.5 on the heartbreak as well. I think they've built this up so much in their mind that uh, anything less than competing for either of these two major trophies is going to be disappointment. So I can very quickly see the fan base being very upset by the end of the year if they're just you know finishing in a Champions League position and not walking away with any self-aware. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, it's hard to disagree with that. Um, I think... And that's, I think, what makes one a team like Arsenal a really fun team to support. And I think Arsenal has always had a strong support in America. They play exciting soccer, but at the end of the day, they don't have the resources of a Manchester United or Chelsea or Manchester City. 
but they do have the expectations of those teams. And so if you don't quite live up to those expectations, and again, the Premier League is harder to win today than it has ever been because there's just seven teams that basically expect to win the Premier League every year now, um, or at least, you know, their, their goal is to develop a team that can win the Premier League. And the chances are they're just not going to quite make it over the line, over a Liverpool, over a Manchester City. And you look at teams like Chelsea coming down the line. Um, you know, if Tottenham can kind of keep things up, can Manchester United ever kind of figure their things out? Because there's a lot of teams with potential and there's already a lot of good teams. So they really, I think, need to take advantage of these next couple of years. Um, and it's just going to mean more emotion it's going to be such an important two or three years, I think, for Arsenal. Is Arteta going to be a guy that can be like Wenger in the last year, 10 years? Or is this going to end um, in disaster? And that's what's fun about this. And it's a great team to watch. They play really exciting soccer. And I think most teams, if if you can't be, can't be Manchester City, you kind of want to be Arsenal um, in terms of your play style. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to kind of see how their, their young talent develops. I think something I always try to remember is that player development is not linear. Uh, a lot of times you, you think you have this 21-year-old who's lighting up the league and you're like, oh, man, I cannot wait till he hits 26, 27 and hits the prime of his career. He's going to be that much better. That is not always the case. So it'll be really interesting to kind of see some of these exciting guys uh, to see how they're able to progress. But I think Mikel Arteta is a great manager to kind of steer some of those and develop some of those talents to, to be even better than they already are. All right, that'll do it for us. You guys know where to find us. Please send us uh, questions that you have. Put some comments. Give us some good ratings. Um, and tell everyone you know to follow the podcast. We'd love to hear from you guys. And that's us signing off.